Let's talk. Docs. Alrighty, folks. Welcome to Let's Talk Docs, a show where we explore the intersection of technical docs, open source, and community. This is your host, Portia and Eric. Here at Let's Talk Docs, we reach out to folks in the field who are elevating the craft of writing and maintaining docs. You'll hear stories about technologists who foster a culture of learning and inclusion through documentation. And today, we are talking to Beth. I wish we had sound effects. Beth is a technical writer at Google, where she works to improve developer experience for site reliability engineers. Before that, she worked at small companies, including Redgate, Improbable, and Digital Asset. She's also the editor of Write the Docs newsletter. She is interested in the intersection between UX and writing, and Beth is passionate about teaching developers how to write good docs. Welcome, Beth. It's so nice to see you. Hello. Thank you for having me. We're so excited you could join us. Thanks for taking the time. And yeah, do you just want to do a little bit more about kind of your background and kind of how you got into technical writing to start things off so folks feel like they know you a little bit more? Yeah, for sure. So I think it's going to be something like eight years now that I'm not going to try and do the math live, but I got into tech writing. I actually got super lucky in that I managed to find a job straight out of university that would teach me to do tech writing, which at the time, I think it's a bit more common now. At the time, there really wasn't that much at all. And actually, I didn't want to be a tech writer. I thought I wanted to be a software engineer, but I had a background in history. And so I basically was wandering around careers fairs, trying to find places that would take people who were kind of from the art side of things who were interested in technology. Where, where do I fit? <laughs> exactly, right? And, and then I ran into this company who was like, oh yeah, there's this job called, this is technical author where you can kind of communicate about tech anyway. So about halfway through the interview process, I was like, oh my God, I really want this job. <laughs> so I've been doing it ever since then. And I think my area has always been a little bit kind of on the UX side as well and trying to solve the bigger problems. So I think I've done docs for kind of SQL developers, docs for games developers, and at the moment site reliability engineering stuff, which is more internal, which is quite interesting as well. But always try with this focus on what problem are we trying to solve with documentation and is documentation the right answer or do we need to fix the product to make that better as well. But also we're trying to bring more people into documentation. Like most of the places I've worked, and I think that's probably true of most tech writers, there's not been very many of us and we've had far more work to do than we can ever do. So so the other big strand that I've worked on a lot is kind of bringing more people into writing documentation, kind of spreading the load a bit and trying to help more people feel like that it's not, writing is not difficult and super scary and, and that actually it's easy for lots of people to contribute. That is fascinating. You're not alone. I think there are many people who are into software development and then they learn about documentation. For you, how did you make that choice where it's like, okay, documentation really is my professional home? It was funny. I think about two or three years in, towards the end of the time, my time, my first job, I was like, I think I've figured it out. I think I've learned everything. <laughs> it was very arrogant. I was like, I think I'd learned everything that was to learn. Nice. <laughs> right. Like I did tech writing onto the next thing. And so I thought I would probably kind of switch to the UX side or try and do something different. And I think the thing that keeps bringing me back to docs is it can be a really good way to contribute in a way where you can make a difference 
just like, okay, well, let's try this with documentation and see what we can do. So it's so rich and so broad, but it also can be quite fast if you're like, well, I have an idea. I think we can try and help people out. Let's try it in the docs and we'll ship it. And if it makes a difference, then you're good. Whereas trying to sort of say so many products that I've worked on have been legacy products and it's really difficult. You can say, okay, well, this is a pain to understand and it's really difficult to use. Trying to fix that can be kind of the work of many years. But if you can say, okay, well, is there something we can do to explain it better? It can be more achievable. Sometimes you can't fix it that way, right? Many times you can't, but. I love it. So it's almost like it has a faster feedback loop. Having an idea than writing documentation and publishing it as opposed to like working on like legacy software. Right, right. And I think there's space for both, you know, and I think you also have to be very conscious of the limits of documentation. I, <laughs> what was, I, there was one time I remember we were working on something where our product manager explained that we had two different products, but we wanted them to have the same branding. So they had the same name, but people also had to understand that they were different. And they were like, can you write something for that? I was like, no, <laughs> no, I'm sorry. You can't like say these two things have the same name, but like it was just, you know. I feel like there's a, a pretty common tension around that. Is it a product problem or is it a documentation problem? And I think, yeah, people really, they want documentation to be able to perform miracles, right? Like <laughs> I think that thing about it, kind of, you can't perform miracles. I think it can be hard for people to understand what you can and can't achieve with docs. And I think the sense of, well, you can make something, you can take a complex thing and you can kind of clarify it, but you can't reduce the complexity, I think, so much. And if you just have something that is, well, this is just a mess and you're expecting me to try and make it not a mess, that's not going to work. And that's where I think we, as well, this kind of side where we get closer to product management and working with other people to say, hey, we have this user need. There's something that people really need here but we can't fix this with docs and we need to, you know, if we want to fix this, then we need to think about prioritizing it in a different way. I think that's an important way that tech writers can contribute as well, because I think sometimes we come across those realizations because of the work that we're doing. I think this is really valuable because many of us have a hard time having that conversation of telling the other stakeholders, hey, documentation can't fix this. So could you just give us another way of like how to diplomatically express that to stakeholders? The only answer I can think is essentially that you have to try and like, and I think that's part of that relationship building as well, that you're showing willing. You're not just say, don't be ridiculous. Documentation can't do that. When you can say, okay, well, we'll get, you want me to try and explain this really complicated thing? Okay, I'll give it a go. Let's try and let's see. And we have this for the product that I've been working on for the last year and a half, which is some immensely complicated internal deployment tool that I won't bore you with the details of. But it's a, a series of interlocking systems, basically, that people find it really hard to reason about. They're like, okay, well, why don't we try? And they ask for documentation and they ask for training. And I was like, well, okay, well, I will try and produce something that explains all the concepts here. And we get to the end. And I think if you can do, especially if you can do a good job, you're like, look, this is a good document explaining how all these things work. And we can see that it still doesn't solve the problem and, and people aren't just going to be able to read this and suddenly the UI will become magically clear. Yeah, so maybe this sort of showing, not telling. In the other example, Brilliant. where it was like, sometimes you can just present the logical impossibility of it if you're like, you've wanted to do this thing, but like, let's walk through 
how, like, what possible way could this work? What possible way could I tell someone that these two things are the same and different at the same time? (laughs) But showing willing and trying to help solve the problem as well. I think saying, it's like, I would love to solve this with dogs. We can't do that. Like, but here are some suggestions for something we could do that I think might help. And yes, maybe this takes engineering effort on, yes, maybe it takes longer, but then if solving this problem is important, then we should explore other ways of solving it as well. I think it's great. I think when you're talking to the different stakeholders, it's about problem solving and everyone's on the same team. Like everyone wants to get that problem addressed. And I think just having that mindset is already very useful. And that's something actually, I think bringing people into it from the other direction as well. Like one of the things that has worked really well for me in the past and getting more people interested in documentation is helping them see that as part of the problem that they're solving. And, you know, especially, I mean, I think there are different philosophies of whether software developers should be just doing development, whether you do a little bit of everything and you do the testing and you help launch it and all of this stuff. But if you're working in an organization where a developer sees their role as, I need to finish the thing and I need to make a good feature and I need to make it usable, then it's dead easy because you just say, oh, well, I have had a lot of conversations along the lines of, well, what does someone need to know in order to be able to use this thing that you've built? And they go, okay, well, this, this, and this. Like, okay, well, then they need some way to find this out. And if you have the case that it's just, here's how this fits into what you want to do already, that can work nicely. Beth, this is gold because so much of our jobs is actually talking to the developers and making sure that we have that productive conversation and that we get the information we need and your users need so that they can use the feature, they can use the product that the engineer has spent so much time building. One of the ways I've heard this talked about is kind of documentation needs to be in the part, in the definition of done. You know, like the feature is done once it is documented and usable. And I think in a lot of organizations, that's like a core thing that like bringing that accountability into the engineering organization with collaborators along in the documentation team and in the testing team and QA and all the different places. Like, you know, it needs to have tests, you need to have docs as part of a feature that is like in the finished column of your planning board or whatever, I think is is another way of kind of instituting that at the process level as well. Yeah, 100%. Because it's both, right? It's like, oh, we make sure we make space for this in the process. But we also, I think the testing is a really good analogy, actually. And there's a very similar thing of, you're not just, okay, you make sure that you write the test, but also I think everyone would <laughs> agree that we need to make sure that this works. So we're going to write tests. Like, well, obviously. And I think documentation can fit in, in the same way and usability in the same way. Or like, well, we're building this and if someone can't use it, then what was the point? Yeah, because I think traditionally like developers, they see like writing tests, writing documentation as like annoying chores that get in the way. But demonstrating that it's actually part of the process of building a feature, I think is like super important. Right. So for our next question, how do you figure out what the reader needs from the documentation? Because a lot of, excuse me, uh, documentarians, we call ourselves the advocate of the user, but what the heck does that mean? (laughs) And how the heck can you be the advocate of the user? What does that process even look like? I was thinking about this and I I think there's two sides of it and both them like, you know, this thing about technically you're a writer, but you've spent 90% of your time doing research and figuring things out, right? And that I think this is basically the huge 
difficult bit that takes the most amount of time. And it's both on the product side and on the user side. So I think you do have to know, you have to know the product's capabilities very well in terms of what it's offering people. But then in terms of figuring out what users need, my go-to on this has always been user support. And I've been lucky in that the places that I've worked, I've always been able to kind of get in touch with those people and chat to them and get to know what what problems they're finding because I feel like that's the... You can get the theoretical view from product management for sure and from various people who are like, this is what people are meant to want from this. But, but how that touches reality, I think, is usually through the lens of user support. And I think just, I just have always found it so interesting trawling through these questions of like, what is it that, because you get this insight into what people are trying to do, I think, in particular. And it's not that documentation should cover every single thing that user support covers, but having this sense of what was someone trying to achieve when they hit this problem, that is the gold that you can get from talking to support and looking at support tickets or forums or whatever. And I think that's for me, what drives the documentation. What is someone trying to get done? Well, that's what we have to structure the documentation around. Forums and talking to QA, such cheat codes when it comes to figuring out what are the real problems as opposed to what we think are the problems. I remember when I started doing this, I was like, oh, you can just find out. Sometimes it can be such a mystery. Like it's it's hard. I think in an ideal world, you would get to actually contact your users and that's something. Now I work on internal stuff. That's a lot easier because my users are my colleagues. So I can just kind of email people and be like, what were you trying to do here? What, like, what, like, what's your goal, you know? But even when it's a bit more difficult just to reach out to people, yeah. Talking to sales, talking to sport, it's, it's super helpful. I know this was intimidating for me because it's like, get into the mind of the user. I'm like, okay, what kind of like, you know, master's level psychology <laughs> to get into their minds? And someone's like, you know, there is a QA department and there are forums. <laughs> right. But I think there is a little bit of that other side of it as well, you know, because you do have to be a little bit creative and figure you can't just be like, okay, well, these three users wanted these three things. So I, I know you're kidding, but I think there is genuinely a case of that as well, where you do have to kind of expand out a bit and in some ways have a bit of a vision of like, okay, well, what is the space of these users and what is the breadth of these people doing? So it's kind of, then that's the, I suppose you just have to, I've always felt you, it's kind of an intuitive, which is probably very risky and I'm probably like leaving out a bunch of stuff by just kind of guessing, but yeah, it's hard to be complete, I think. Yeah. I think there's also a lot of product questions there as well around like, who do you want your user to be? Who is the market for the product and what do they want? Because yeah, you'll, you'll find lots of emails from people and especially in sales and support channels where who you actually want using your product? Do they ask for things that don't really make sense? And so, yeah, there's definitely an editing and a kind of a lot of steps around processing that information into how to make it actually useful for documentation and knowing your product, yeah. knowing your market and know, yeah, knowing who the reader is. And I, I thought it was really interesting. It sounds like you've had a number of different audiences in your career, right? From, and I imagine internal is, is much different than external, you know, writing yeah. for technical users versus writing something for maybe a more kind of general audience in a product. And yeah, I think it's super interesting, you know, defining the reader is super important and knowing what they need. <laughs> Right. And and I really liked what you said there as well about you don't always have the audience that you want. 
both people using the product in a way that it's not quite designed for is a really interesting problem for documentation. And whether you say, okay, well, that's not what we wanted you to do and that's not supported, which is one approach, or, oh, it turns out actually our product is different to what we thought it was. That's actually a feature for me. Like, <laughs> Right, right. That is, isn't it always there? There's always someone who, rely, <laughs> who relies on it working the wrong way. <laughs> I'm just still thinking about what you just said. You don't always have the audience that you want. I think that's really profound. And I think that's so unspoken in many of these conversations. Right. It can be a real challenge sometimes if you end up, it's hard for documentation to be successful if you're pitching at the group who's not not actually the people who are reading it. I, it reminds me, and I think on the Write the Docs Slack, what a conversation that comes up quite often is around like pitching something at the right level. You know, what's the appropriate? Do I explain keyboard shortcuts to my users? Do I explain how to launch a command prompt? These things. And that's something where you really do have to figure it out because it might be that you think you're aiming your product at experienced sysadmins or something. And it turns out it's being actually used by people who are just starting out and you're like, well, if you want them to be successful, you really do have to figure out what is it they really need. There was something, something Eric said as well, that I just, about the product message. And I think some of the most difficult documentation I've written was for a product where it was kind of a, pro, a solution in search for a problem. I didn't realize this would be so hard until I tried it, but I just didn't know how to write documentation for this thing. And I remember talking to our product managers being like, so, it, you know, you had these libraries and I was like, so what would someone build with this? Why would they use it? And they were like, oh, well, you could do all sorts of things. But yes, you could. What do you want to like guide people towards? Because right. otherwise you just have this really abstract documentation of, well, here is some functionality that you can use to build anything. And I find that very difficult, very undirected. And looking for a problem, I mean, you've opened a door from some jokes that I can only tell off air. <laughs> I don't want to make this show too controversial. <laughs> I love that concept of the documentation is is where your kind of your solution must come into contact with the market or whatever. It's like, yes, we built a beautiful thing. And it's like, okay, but like, what is the thing good for? Like, what are people searching for to find this thing? Like, yeah, yeah like who what are the top three things we want this thing to be used for? Like, <laughs> yeah. Right. It's more common than it should be, unfortunately, in our world. Well, I think it's hard, right? And I think there's a lot of the things that tech writers end up getting into are this kind of messy reality of, of theory hits practice, whether it's like, well, does our product actually meet this need or does it? So I think both in products, we talked a lot about this, but also in, in the world of usability, I think technical writers often end up finding a ton of usability problems because you have to dig into the details and you're like, oh, theoretically, you just go through this nice wizard and everything is fine. But then practically you're like, hang on, but I don't know what I put here and I don't know what I put here and I don't know what I put there. And suddenly the person writing the documentation is like, well, this UI looks very nice, but it's completely impossible to use because we don't give you any guidance on what to input into this form or whatever. And I think that's why tech writers often end up giving all of this UX feedback is because you find it, you have to hit find that reality. Is that's where the delusion ends with the tech writer. <laughs> that is so profound, Beth. I guess that's sometimes where that tension comes in at. We're like, get the product manager, you got the developer who are like, yeah, this is just going to solve like world hunger. And then you have like the tech writer's like, okay, what is the real pain point you're solving? 
They're like, but the possibilities. You're like getting back to my question. <laughs> that's that's super interesting because yeah, I do think like product discussions can really add a lot of groupthink or you know like like everybody who was involved in every conversation for months at a time, and then you come, you're the first person kind of coming in and being like, okay, but like, how do we explain this to people who weren't in the meeting for like the last two months or whatever? And like, it's really interesting. I'd never also considered that. It's yeah, it's that kind of in the the point where it it meets the world and you're kind of the translator almost before support. Support is like, once it makes it into the world, then you actually get the user feedback, but you actually almost have to like play that role internally before something goes live with the user advocate, right? It was like, I'm asking these questions so users don't have to. (laughs) Right. And you were talking earlier, I think, about getting a seat at the table and getting involved earlier. And I think that is one of the areas where it can show real value. It's harder, right? Because sometimes it you only have negative things to show for it. Well, it's like, we didn't ship that terrible computing thing. (laughs) But I think this asking these questions or saying, hang on, hang on, that you thought this would be obvious, but if you look at the detail, it's really not. I think it saves a lot of effort if you can say, you can't count those negative support tickets. But I think that is, to me, that's where a lot of the value lies, that it's a bit less obvious. And it's also like, a practice of being diplomatic too. It's really hard to tell someone that, God, I wish it was a more sophisticated way of saying this, but it's really hard to call someone else, someone's baby ugly. And that's almost like, <laughs> and I mean, that's kind of what you need to do, but you need to do it for the greater good. And being able to like articulate that where you're getting across, hey, this is for the greater good, which is our consumers mm-hmm. can be tricky. Or users, I mean. Well, yeah. and, and the baby could still change. <laughs> Grow less ugly with time. <laughs> no, I'm not going to overextend this metaphor. It's yeah. <laughs> so we're next question. What the heck does ineffectual documentation look like? Like in a field, we know what code smells are. But what are like documentation smells? So... I find that such a difficult question to answer, partially because I think there are... So there's a really good talk by Riona McNamara about what documentation is for, which we can link to in the show notes. And basically, she talks about the difference between pretty and effective. I have this temptation all of the time, like wanting to make documentation nice. And so when you ask about smells, all of the things I can think of, most of them are like oh, well, walls of text or like various things. They're almost aesthetic. You know, when you look at a piece of documentation, you can be like, this is going to be a slog, right? Because of the way that you look at it. But I I think it's ultimately it has to come down to, is it doing its job or not? Right. And that's a lot harder. I think there are still some things that you can look for. Again, like I do a lot of kind of working with developers on the docs that they write. And one of the things that people end up doing is they're like, well, this information is necessary. So they put it in but they don't frame it. And I think when you give people a piece of information that's just abstract, like here is a fact about this thing, it's very hard to assimilate and figure out what like what you're meant to be doing with it. And so I always end up this question of like, so why are you telling me this? Like, what am I meant to do with that? And the answer to that question, then you're like, oh, in order to, like, you need to be aware of this so you don't pull into this pitfall or you need into this trap or there's some other reason that I'm telling you this. When you actually put that in, then it starts to be a much more actionable piece of documentation. So I think that's the only smell I can think of in terms of information that doesn't make it clear why you need to care about it or 
you have a procedure that's like, oh, we have to follow this procedure, but it's not clear what you're getting out of it. Yeah. So the motivation of this question actually comes from your presentation, a practical guide to making good documentation, the Haskell Z meetup, I believe. And what I really loved about this presentation was just how actionable it was. Because it's really easy for us to go in our soapboxes and say, well, this is not good documentation and it's hard to read wall of text. Well, I love all of the examples you gave in terms of how to write effective documentation. I do remember the reasoning behind that presentation was basically giving, at the time I was working in a company that was, I mean, our product was basically a fork of Haskell more or less. And it felt like there were plenty of people who could perfectly well write good documentation, but they didn't really understand what problem they were solving. But they were all problem solvers for a living, right? And if you just kind of say that it's like, this is what you're trying to do. This is the outcome you're trying to shoot for. It seemed to really work for people. And, and I think the only other bit of that is examples, because you can say things like saying, you should lead with like what the user is trying to achieve and then like help them do that. Sounds good in the abstract, but you don't, you kind of also need to be able to know what that looks like. And that's what you showed. Like, I love how you went over, I think this was a group exercise where you went over different sentences and as a group, everyone edited the sentence to make it cleaner and to really get to the point of the problem that was supposed to be solved. Oh, but is that the broccoli thing? Because I stole that from an old colleague of mine, so I can't claim any credit for that. Oh, there's more than broccoli in here. There's a lot of examples, but part of it is broccoli, yes. James Duffy, who I used to work with, he did this amazing talk about writing where he had this quote from the side of a pack of broccoli from Waitrose, which is a fancy British supermarket. (laughs) It was sort of this like, we care deeply about the quality of food and bloody blah. And he basically just went through this edit. So it was from this. And it was this beautiful exercise of just like making really logical edits where you're like, well, this is essentially saying the same thing. And you just edit until like, you're just like, well, this doesn't exist. I think the conclusion was like, food is important, was basically the substance of what this was saying. And I I think for a lot of, for documentation, you edit it down, you're like, oh, well, now the substance of what we're saying is there is some substance and this is the smallest possible version of the thing point we wanted to make. I think when you get, (laughs) this was a bit cheating because it was some marketing content. So there's not really, you're just trying to kind of give an impression or something rather than say, say something concrete. Yeah. yeah. I noticed in that presentation that the text eventually went to nothing. And it was like, is the takeaway that the text isn't actually saying anything, but it has other important qualities because it's marketing copy, but documentation, there's a more of a core essence maybe to, to something that you're trying to get. And there is actually like a takeaway that the user is meant to get and breaking away from some of the fluff to get to the takeaway is the process, right? <laughs> And I feel bad about this as well, because I'm not like marketing is this whole other skill set that I do not have. And I do not know how to like make things feel nice and have that kind of nice atmosphere. So I, all I do is, is like, well, at least I can just give you the substance and I can be brief about it. That's what I, and I don't want the takeaway from, from my statement to be that marketing Mm -hmm. is useless. The goal is different. They're trying to, to engender a feeling instead of impart information. Right. And those are two very different practices. And they're both incredibly difficult. And for technical people, often feelings are much harder than ideas. And so, you know, focusing on something that's information transfer is maybe less difficult <laughs> than... I, I think marketing. it is easier. I think it is. I think it is. Those other things are hard. Whereas like, what information does someone need to solve this problem? 
it feels a lot easier to figure out to me than that. Like, how can I make them like this, for example? And I, I do think documentation is marketing, by the way, as well. But I think it's a much more yeah. like, yeah, right. Yes. It is something that can be reduced to a seemingly technical problem. Yes. Whereas, yes, when when you start dealing with the marketing aspects, I do think that's a little fuzzier, right? And a little harder to, yes. you know, for traditional. Anyway, I don't know. Maybe we're getting into too deep but, of psychology here. And I'm, no, 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 no. Get back to the marketing. More dangerous trade. I've done some copywriting and I've taken a lot of copywriting classes. I still read a lot of copywriting books. And that's exactly what you do with copywriting. You take out the fluff because mm-hmm. you are respecting the reader's time. And you are looking at their pain point and documentation's all about addressing pain point as well. Yes. Yes. And I think that's where the commonality is, right? Again, we, we were talking earlier about user needs being like, what is it that you need? What value is this trying to impart to you? That's when documentation can be marketing because it's like, well, you want to achieve this goal and you can. So sorry. <laughs> Hopefully. Yeah, I know. Like, I thought that was a really good exercise. I love the slides and I even shared it in my team internally Aww. because I, yeah, I love the presentation. I love where you asked the beginning of the presentation, the Haskell one, like, well, what is the biggest problem you're having with Haskell? And then everyone says documentation, but the fact that you had a slide where you had different places where someone was complaining or talking about the poor documentation, I think really brought home the importance of documentation to an open source project or a project in general. And and I think this is something I remember talking to various people in the Haskell community about the difference between Haskell and Rust. And I think Rust has put in a huge amount of effort into documentation and helping people get started. And I think it ends up with a, a wider community. I mean, there's obviously lots of differences and so on. I think it is something that, that the Haskell world, like people are putting effort into it's just knowing where to apply, like where to apply that effort so that it's actually going to be valuable. And you gave them a really like nice path because like many technologists, many programmers, they know they have a problem, but they don't know how to fix it. And I think that presentation really got to that next level of, okay, we all are in agreement. This is an issue. Now, how do we address it? And the other thing I was thinking about before this conversation was like, in terms of helping folks out to that point, one of the things that I've noticed about various teaching materials, tech writing, including some of the ones that Google publishes, is we tend to focus on the smaller level because that's much easier. Like, how do I make this particular piece of documentation good? Like, how do I, like, I know I have this thing or I have this library I need to document and so on. I think one of the things that's really, really hard is when you get bigger than that. And I think that's somewhere like, I spend a lot of time teaching people a smaller level and I think most people can learn to write well with a little bit of a hand. I really don't think it's the lower levels. I, I think they are quite accessible. I think what's really hard is a set of documentation, especially for a big product or a set of products and trying to be like, how do we structure this whole thing so that it meets needs needs? What should the big set of documentation look like so that people can use this and people can come on board and people can use it day to day? and all through the life cycle of the product, making that a usable set of documentation and making it a usable set of documentation a year from now or two years from now, the maintenance problem, that's really hard. And I think I always feel like I have a bit of a gap there of I can help people with the first bit, but the second bit of how do you solve the bigger problem, I think is really difficult. And so that actually gets to our final question. We are we're almost coming to a close, but we are very curious about that. You worked at 
several different companies. Can you tell us like what is the difference between writing documentation for a smaller company as opposed to a Fane or a Mang? And Fane stands for everyone, Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Netflix, and Google. <laughs> so I can only speak to one of those in a minute. <laughs> I don't want to generalize here because I feel like there's the small companies I've worked at have been so different. And I feel like I work at just one tiny corner of Google and I'm sure there are lots of different experiences. But the only thing that's interesting to me that I've noticed is I feel like a lot of places struggle to get documentation to get written in the first place. And I feel like Google has, has got to the next problem along, which is that there is a good culture of people caring about documentation and the tooling is good. So it gets written. But then you have the problem of like, well, what do you do? Like you have all this documentation, you put some effort into it, but then what? Then you have this enormous mess and like, oh, yeah. oh no, we're successful. You know? <laughs> <laughs> How do we maintain this? Yeah. What's it called? A success failure? I think is what you feel like. <laughs> oh, we, we thought we solved the problem and now we have another problem. We always talk about it as like good problems to have, right? Yes. It's like, it's a good problem, but it's still a problem. And it's, and in some ways it's a novel problem mm-hmm. because like most people are just struggling with the first success, right? And now you've achieved that and you're like, oh no, like now we're in, relatively uncharted territory. We've lost all our guides. In some ways, I think you can still see it as like having no documentation versus having outdated documentation. I think having outdated documentation is slightly better, but honestly, not by much. At Google, they sort of had these, like everyone's kind of joking and orientation about like, welcome to Google. Uh, All of the documentation is out of date. Good luck. (laughs) So it's sort of this thing where people have put effort into it and people do write it, but then you end up with not whether it's not the will or not the skill or or the structural prioritization to keep the documentation in a good state. And I think that's the thing that's really exhausting. You create your new shiny set of docs and you're excited and everything is great. And then your product changes and six months later, you're like, well, I have to do all this again. Are you kidding me? (laughs) What happened to that win six months ago? Or two years later and it's a different team and yes. they don't even, yeah. yeah, like they don't even know the original documents were written, for example, and somebody's yeah. just doing a, a quick update and they're just like, oh, well, this is just going to touch a little bit of code and then move on or whatever, or the security team comes in or, yeah, there's lots of different people having, you know, edits to various products and yeah, no, it's a super hard problem, right? If the documentation that exists is not trusted. I know Troy, one of the Write the Docs folks at Twitter talked a lot about this around how to kind of build the culture of actually putting things in the documents around age, last edits, yes, likely quality, right? Like how much has the code changed versus how much has the documentation changed and actually put that at the top of the page relative to the product or whatever. And just trying to yeah, build a little bit more of a sense of some metric into the document so that you know, like, should I trust this? What is the difference between a random Facebook article or the New York Times in your internal wiki or whatever, right? <laughs> yes. I think there's this thing of how do you signal to people whether or not this is right? There's, I've had a similar yeah. problem recently with... So I have always... Like the prioritization I've always made has basically been for a smaller set of good and accurate documentation. And I've always tended to sacrifice completeness because I feel like it's much better to have a few small things that work but I've had recently some users complaining about docs being like, they're just, you know, I just don't trust that everything is in there. They're just missing all of these things. And it's like, you're right. They are missing these things. 
that sucks. And it's not, well, I know a product manager recently told me it isn't prioritization until it hurts. <laughs> you, you can't do everything. And I think that's how it goes. That's also true of all products, right? I think that's one yeah. of the things working on building products. You have to remember that like every product every person uses doesn't work exactly how they want it to. Yeah. And that, that is yeah. true of all, whether the product is documentation or a uh, yep. tool. <laughs> it just has to be good enough, right? It has to be. And finding that line, God knows how you do it. I don't know. I don't know how to find that line with any accuracy. <laughs> that's the... Um, there was also something, the thing that you said about this kind of how doc sets get added to. I've been really interesting project I've been working on recently with a team who had quite a lot of tech writer effort a few years ago. And the team cares a lot about documentation, but they have cared about it in a very low level way. And they've done things like, oh, every time we get a support question and it's not in the docs, we better make sure we put it in somewhere. And so they have ended up, and it's only been a couple of years, but they've gone from a, like, I felt like I was doing this archaeology of, I realized I could find the original structure that a tech writer had put in there that really made sense. But the whole thing had just kind of decayed and degenerated because the team, had they'd been trying to add to it and they'd been trying to make it useful. But I think they hadn't grasped. They, so they again, it's step one. Step one, make sure you write the documentation. Step two is, but when shouldn't you write the documentation and figuring out how you add things, how you add to a documentation set with care so that you keep it healthy and that's, yeah, it's more difficult than just shoving stuff in for sure. So why don't we end there with, let's say, just getting to this low level documentation, because I've seen that problem more than one company where you have like a well-meaning team that writes the documentation, but it's at a, such a low level that they kind of get in their way. What's some advice that you would have for a team writing documentation where they can kind of prevent that problem but they are writing documentation. I think it's just about focusing your energy, honestly. If people are keen and ready to put the time in, like that is fantastic. And I think trying to say, okay, take that energy and do a little with it. And so trying to do something little that's really high quality. I think this ties back, we were talking at the beginning about how you can get this tight feedback loop and do ship documentation quickly, potentially to fix things. I think if you take that energy and say, okay, well, let's try and do a few things that we really think will make a difference and then step back and see whether it worked or not. I think that is a much better way to use that energy because if you just keep adding and adding and you're not taking that step back to figure out, is this whole set, is this whole thing still working? Are the changes that we make? In the last few minutes, I'm not going to get into the whole topic of how do you figure out whether your documentation is doing a good job because that's you're going to need a whole other <laughs> maybe, podcast. Maybe another, maybe another time. Back loop. Yeah. Then the emphasis yeah. on iteration is very is quite valuable for teams yeah. and to have that mindset when you're also writing documentation. Yeah. And I think this thing of doing less, don't try and fix your all your docs in one go. Try and do a few things and make them really high quality, and then you'll have a much better chance of making a difference. Beth. We're going to end with those very wise words. <laughs> yep. I was like, that That was the ending. <laughs> I mean, I, that was yeah. perfect. Thank you. So one more thing, though, before we let our audience go, is there anything else you want to promote or talk about? It sounds like you've done lots of good things, but is there any anything else you want to draw attention to while you have the time? Well, I did want to mention the newsletter because I think I don't know what the overlap in the audience here between Write the Docs folks and listeners of your podcast, but like try and have a kind of interesting range of conversations that we write up each month and that. So I'll, yeah, 
well, obviously I'm the editor. I think the, 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 the newsletter is great, but hopefully folks, folks seem to enjoy it. So yeah, I think that's the big one. Great. And awesome. if folks want to find that, they can just go to writethedocs.org and look for the newsletter. Thank you so much, Beth, for joining us today. It's been wonderful. I think this is the most quotes we've had in the chat so far. So lots, yeah. lots of wisdom. <laughs> well, thank you. This has been a lot of fun. I feel like I could do this for like three hours. So I'm, it's, 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 that's what we always like to hear. Whenever <laughs> I hear that, I just want to give a guest a hug, but I can't. I'm giving my microphone a hug. <laughs> kind of the same. <laughs> I don't know. But on that note, everyone, thank you for joining us today and to stay up to date on future episodes. You can find us on Apple, Google, and Spotify. Please share this podcast with your friends and colleagues. And if you have any ideas for future episode topics, or if you would even want to come on as a guest, please email us at letstalkdocs at sustainoss.org. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And until next time, keep writing and shipping those docs.